Hello and welcome to Knowing Nature, the podcast all about exploring and engaging with the natural world. I'm your host, Victor. This episode is going to be a film club and we're talking about the 2018 film White Fang, directed by Alexander Espigares, although it's French, so I've said it totally wrong. Based on a book by Jack London, which was written way back in 1906, it follows the story of a wolf dog pup and his encounters with humans and wolves in the Yukon during the Klondike Gold Rush. Joining me in discussing this film are educators Maggie and Aisha. Welcome back to the show, Maggie and Aisha. Hi. Good to be here. Good to be back. Well, jump right in i guess so first impressions overall of the movie did you like it did you not like it uh let's start with aisha um i really liked it when i first saw this um i wasn't quite sure about the animation to be honest it's really beautiful to look at but some of the animation seemed a little bit amateurish um and having read the book and watched other adaptations of white fang it starts in a different way so that threw me off but after about 20 minutes I was thoroughly committed and enjoyed it to the very end I have to say it took me a little bit by surprise because I I haven't read the book and I I didn't really know what the story would be about and I was kind of prepared for your um typical animated movie a bit like a Disney uh but I, I found it quite raw and gloomy it was kind of almost you had kind of the sense of impending doom because it starts starting off from being um well the 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 dog wolf being enslaved and forced into uh forced into dog fights and and you kind of then know that things are just going to go wrong when they go back in the back in time when he's a pup and I just felt like, oh, you know, when is this? When is something terrible going to happen? And I found it quite kind of dark for a children's uh, film. I have to say, I, I did enjoy it, but I was I was surprised by by the darkness and some of the violence as well. The book is apparently actually more violent than this film. So this film it has toned it down quite a bit. Um, it's much more brutal in the book, but I. I would say that this is not quite a kid's film. Like when you see the the promotional pictures of White Fang, he kind of looks like this cute puppy and you think, oh, it's an animated thing. And then you think of, if you haven't read the book, you think, oh, White Fang, oh yeah, this is a, you know, it's a kid's story, but it's kind of not. A lot of the the themes and like in this movie, the, the, the big central conflict that you mentioned, Maggie, the dog fighting, like this is not, um, it's not a movie that you can just, turn on for your young child to watch and kind of leave them to it i don't think maybe if they're a little bit older and they're you know that they're going to be able to deal with violence appearing in something but if you're thinking that oh this is it's about a cute puppy i'm gonna watch it and it's gonna be like a pixar movie this is that is not this film no, and I think, I, I believe I saw there was a disclaimer in the beginning kind of um, about adult supervision for this film, which is understandable because it is, I, I can imagine that you would probably need to talk it through with a, with a child afterwards. Let's focus in on White Fang and the animals to, to start us off, I think. Um, what did you think of how like wildlife and animals was depicted in the movie? I mean, it was it was very different from your, as you say, like 
regular normal kids film where it's all kind of cute and cozy and everyone is loving each other and living in in sort of lovely harmony in nature this felt quite different like even the relationship he uh, White Fang had with his mother wasn't all kind of super friendly and cozy she was kind of guiding him but she could be quite distant and she could be kind of uh, telling him off or not approving of what he was doing it wasn't all kind of cute and cozy if you know what I mean I think this is well this is one of the only animated films that I've watched that's involved animals that's managed to have a central animal character that doesn't speak yeah that's a good point is that well first off none of the animals talk it's also from white fang's perspective by and large right like it's it's his perspective on the whole story i think i quite like that i like that it's a movie that's about this animal but he's not anthropomorphized really at all i think he's got a lot of personality but it's kind of the same level as like if you've got a pet and you you know the personality of your pet, it's quite good. I don't know if you if you know the Disney Pocahontas. Again, the animals don't talk in it, but they have a lot of personality such that they're they're almost people with like animal characteristics and then in the shape of an animal, if you see what I mean. But in this one, he's got personality, but he he stays a dog or or a wolf. That is so true, actually. No one reflects when you're saying it um it's kind of like all the animals are they are animals they're not they're not being as you say humanized they're not not just that they don't talk but the way they act and react it's it's very animal they are animals in this film only film i've seen where the a good part of the first 20 minutes which is maybe why i struggle to get into it as well there wasn't any talking it was all just scenery and it was the relationship between him and his mam and as you say, it's not one that we normally associate with animals. It is very much, hey, we've got to go this way because we've got to survive. But I'm, I'm hungry. I'm tired. Tough luck. We've got to keep going. That's quite a good point that it's um, even that, that early point when the movie is really establishing your connection to White Fang and, and his attachment to his mother. It's not like Bambi where the first few minutes when it's him with his mom, it's like idyllic, right? In this one, it's very, you see the struggles that they they go through um, in that winter, you know, they're really struggling to find food. You see White Fang is really hungry. His mother gets injured. Like, so it's not, uh, I think that's another thing that it does really well. It's like nature is not all cute and and cuddly animals. You know, when just because animals are out there in the wild and away from humans doesn't mean that they're having an easy time of things. They still, there is still struggle. I think they also, they, they continue this throughout. They very realistically represent the struggle of the first nations, native American tribe, as well as what happens to them as well. Like life up in the Yukon is a struggle. Everyone is about survival in the whole film. And everyone has a very different method of survival. Surviving those cold, harsh winters where there's very little there's very little space and opportunity for kindness. So let's let's move on to the way in which humans are depicted in the movie. So you mentioned the Native American or the First Nations tribe, and in that region it's, it would be the Gwich'in. 
they're a group that live in a bunch of different communities up in the sort of Northwest Territories in the Yukon, um, and I think into Alaska as well. That one of the things that makes the book and this quite interesting is that White Fang encounters all these different people, and they're very different people, and they've got very different relationships to nature and to animals. So you know, he encounters. Um, I mean, we've mentioned um, dog fighting. So there's Beauty Smith, who's the greedy kind of dog fighting ringleader guy. And so he uses animals without regard to their well-being. You've got other folks who seem to work more in partnership with animals. Um, what did you think of how people were depicted in this movie and how they relate to nature? It was a really interesting take, um, especially a lot of the movies and books that I've read that um, look at this idea of what the pioneers and um, like Western settlers did during the gold rush and heading out to the West, um, they very much romanticize and idolize um, these brave settlers that go into these uncharted territories to, you know, claim um, land. And I I liked that this movie really showed that this land had been, it had been owned before, and especially how it highlights the the struggles of the chief where he has to strike a deal with the settlers to buy back the land that's been his and his ancestors lands for thousands of years but then they didn't just make all the settlers the bad people they also had governor the warden who was himself a dog lover and you know it showed that there's all sorts of peoples in all sorts of different cultures. I thought that was that was really positive about the film. Yeah, you had Whedon Scott, the U.S. Marshal, who who was a settler, but you know treated White Fang well and is a good person, definitely. Uh, Maggie, what did you think? Um, it was it was very much sort of a dichotomy between white and sort of uh, well bad and good, really, wasn't it? So it was kind of a dichotomy between good and bad, and the good people would live alongside with nature and kind of and use its materials wisely. Over there was animal and animal instincts, so they would use it for something good, like for instance, uh, the indigenous people um, took White Fang in and and saw the potential in him and used him as a sledge dog rather than exploiting. Which I mean, it's not. It's still a use for humans, isn't it? Um, rather than completely sort of beating him to submission and exploiting for, for money in complete disregard to the well-being and life of this creature, which is what the Beddies did. Um, so uh, in, in some ways, I feel like perhaps for me, it was a bit too simplistic. It was very much kind of the bad guys are exploiting nature and its creatures and the good guys are not doing that. They're living along it and they are more understanding of the needs of nature and how they needed themselves. Um, but yeah, I, I did like the idea that, you know, there are, um, that you can find people with different approaches to nature in, in, in different cultures. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if that, that kind of dichotomy is a little bit too simplistic for me. I also noticed that all the buddies were ugly and all the good people 
uh, that co co lived in har more harmoniously with with nature and creatures were very beautiful. So it almost felt like a um, caricature in a way. My partner pointed that out as well. Is is that it, it definitely telegraphs who are the people that you're not supposed to like, and it's because of how they look, which is not it's it's not great. I hadn't considered the dichotomy aspect though. Um, but but I think you're right. There's there's basically like people you're meant to like and people you're meant to not like. However, that being said, it even though as we said, like it's not quite a kids movie, but it's still kind of targeted at kids. So not having so much gray area in terms of the characters is like a form of simplification. And I think it would definitely, it would really definitely not be a kids movie if they had um, like morally ambiguous characters on top of the really difficult subject matter of the like the dog fighting ring. You had Grey Beaver, the um, Gwich'in um, village elder, village chief, being stolen from in order to like steal White Fang. Like, there's some difficult subject matter. Yes, I mean, there's so much. There's this kind of exploitation of nature, exploitation of indigenous people. There is colonization. There is racism. I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of dark things. So I guess you're right. It will be really hard for, for any child to uh, digest if there will be sort of more grey areas on top of that. <laughs> uh, so it's, especially when you think that a lot of adults haven't got to the stage where they could even digest that level of complexity. We, I think societally, we need there always to be a good guy and a bad guy. Nobody likes the in-between bit because it's just too real. Because I think if you think about it that way, nobody's truly good or evil. Everyone's kind of in the middle. So when we watch film, we need it to be very much black and white, good and evil. So a lot of the reviews of this film by parents who've watched this with their kids, um, they're very negative and often what they focus on in the reviews is the like violence and cruelty of the dog fighting. But I don't think, like, while wild dogfighting is violent and cruel, I don't think that the movie um, deserves negative reviews for having it be part of the film. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. So, I, I mean, I can, I can understand that this film brings up a lot of things that are actually really difficult to watch. With, watch. I mean, violence... Um, I particularly reacted to to the scene when when the dogs get a pro, sort of um, beaten to submission. I mean, it's not you don't really see it, but but you see enough to imagine it, and and I think that's better. Sort of is it better enough? So I can see how a lot of parents there would like to shelter their children from violence. Um, they they feel that this is too much. I don't know how to deal with that. Um, I, I can I can see that. But at the same time, it is a really good movie that brings up some really important things that if you discuss and talk through with children and you sit with them watching this film, that they, they should be able to, to cope with it. I mean, depending on the age, of course. Uh, but, um, you know, there is there is some rawness in it. There is some violence in it that we're not used to in children's movies. And I think that's where this comes from and the sort of need of, many many parents to protect them from from um, violence in general 
definitely you're right. I think there's there's an opportunity in this film to have this this important conversation, and I think it's a moment when you can really build up this empathy for and and if talking through this issue with kids um, using this film, I think it's a way of helping them work through. It's an introduction to a difficult topic. When I looked at this film, though, I don't think this film was any worse than, say, the cruelty that you would have seen. I don't know if any either of you have seen Black Beauty, mm-hmm. where he goes through the several different owners. As he's bought by people who, you know, race him, people who treat him really badly. And I don't think that that was any... Again, it, it's not nice to look at, but... It was the whole reason why Anna Sewell, who wrote Black Beauty, wrote the book because these things happen and they don't just because people don't want to watch them or hear about them or know that they happen doesn't mean that they're not. And I think it's yeah exactly as Maggie said, the idea that these films are bringing them into that public light and letting people know that this is something that either historically happened or is still happening is very important. Yeah, I think it's an opportunity to really help help a kid work through how they feel animals should be treated. Because uh, again, going back to something I mentioned earlier was that one of the nice things about this is that it shows you lots of different ways people can interact with animals, right? So you've got Beauty Smith, the dog fighting guy. And as you mentioned, Maggie, like no regard for the welfare beats the animals into submission. Like it's really negative, but it's something that it's a a practice that happens, right? And then you've got Grey Beaver, the Gwich'in. And I feel like that's, he's got almost like a partnership with White Fang. And then you've got Whedon Scott, the US Marshal, who like saves White Fang from the dog fighting ring. And he... He has an owner pet relationship to White Fang, it kind of feels like. And so you've got all these different ways of people interacting. And by having those discussions, helping a kid work through, you know, why is it that they they don't like the way in which White Fang is treated at different points in the film? You know, like how do they feel about um dogs being used as, as sled dogs? You know, which is something that's definitely common, but that's quite different from dog fighting. Why is it different? I think these are all important conversations to help kids really articulate or work through their feelings about these different things because it's a useful skill. You know, working through how you feel about a really difficult subject matter is something that's going to be really useful later on in life. I really quite like the end scene as well because, like, in a, in a, in a kind of traditional cartoon, it would be. Oh, the dog has saved, and uh, the owners are saved. Everyone is safe, and now they're going to leave this terrible dark woodland or this area that's so filled with greed and violence, and they're leaving this nasty place. One big happy family, off they go. But of course, it doesn't finish that way. Instead, they 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 re- they basically let White Fang go, let him go back to where he belongs, which is his habitat, his environment. And it kind of ends completely different. And that's what they believe is the right decision. And they sort of stop and reflect on that and let him go. And and I quite like that because I think in in a child's world, there is often the kind of need to bring things home, to cuddle them. And it's quite a nice opening discussion to 
talk about where do wild animals belong and why. Yeah, uh, again, going back to those reviews by basically parents who watch this with their kids, a lot of them really didn't like the ending. The common theme was that um, kids felt really sad that White Fang was left all alone at the end of the film. So Aisha, what did you think of the ending? I really didn't like the ending because they released him. I feel that it was very irresponsible. I think we have a big culture at the moment of people who get pets and feel that they can rewild them. When White Fang had been domesticated one way or another pretty much his entire life, the fact that they had actually, the marshal had gone and, well, the marshal's wife had stopped him from killing the chicken, so she'd even removed that hunting instinct from him, but then felt it was fine to rewild this dog especially a, a pack animal like a wolf, they he would need to go and find another pack, which would be impossible as a, you know, as a young male lone wolf. You'd find it very hard to find a pack and you'd find it near on impossible to survive. And ultimately what you do is you go and find the only thing that you knew, which was human beings and those human beings on seeing a wolf would shoot you on sight. So I, I actually thought that this was, it was a horrible way. And it kind of, it really goes into this idea of people buying these pets and being like, oh, it's fine. I can release them into the wild and they'll be fine. Once you've domesticated an animal, that's it. You can't rewild it. It's, it's a death sentence. And I, I thought that was a very negative message to end with. That is so interesting because, like, I didn't think of that at all. I was like, ooh, is this symbolism freedom? It's really funny how we understood the ending very differently. But um, I, I do see your point of view now. Um, yeah, definitely see that. Um, and I don't know, I guess he's kind of a bit of a tricky one because he grows, he kind of grows up wild but then gets domesticated. Um, I can see what you mean with, with the, the sort of problem with him going back. But I kind of just didn't see that. I just saw the sort of symbolism of belonging and free freedom. But um, hmm, interesting. I, I had the same reaction as you, Maggie. I really quite liked the ending. There is this sense of like, oh, he, he's a wild animal. There's this theme through the second half of the film after he's rescued from the dogfighting ring you know there's this him looking up at the moon is something that you're shown several times it's like he's thinking back to the first time you see him do it um is, is um outside the dogfighting ring is um when he's with his mother right he looks up at the moon and so there's this association between the the moon and the wilderness and so you get this sense that he wants to be free of humans back out running wild kind of thing. But I wonder, Maggie, if we might have fallen into the trap of anthropomorphizing him. Possibly. And we think we 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 put yeah, we put our human like expectations of what he would want without considering actually if we think of him as an animal. Aisha, your your points are absolutely bang on a domestic dog if you just let it free in the yukon would not do very well for very long you know it's highly unlikely that it would survive very long because it just wouldn't know 
how to survive. No, so true. I I felt they had a lot of points as well. Like the marshal and his wife never um he was allowed to roam free. Like a lot of the marshal finds him in his usual spot. He goes out and gets the chicken. So I felt like if he wanted to be free and it was something he wanted to pursue, he could have left at any time. It very much to me felt that they were abandoning him and making themselves feel better about it. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't considered that at all. No, neither have I. I thought they were kind of being clever. <laughs> Not clever. I thought, you know, they were like, okay, we're going to a completely different environment. Um, and this. This, this animal is from here, like just the thick fur, you know, that's not going to, I think they're going, were they going down to California? Did I get that? Yeah, Remember that? yeah, they were. And, you know, so this completely different habitat and they kind of go, what are we doing? You know, this animal will not be happy that this animal is not a, adopted to be there. It should stay here. So, yeah, it's interesting how, um, yeah, I, I, I saw it very, very differently. I mean, I completely agree with you, Aisha, the, um, with the rewilding aspect of it now on reflection. Yeah, good point, Aisha. I hadn't thought of it that okay. way. <laughs> um, I guess also, like, because he, you know, he kind of, they don't have to shoo, shoo him off the, um, the cart, so he kind of jumps down and just runs off, um, mm-hmm. you know, freely, like on, on his own uh, free will. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something about him like, you know, running up the mountain and howling that that made me made me as a human being think, oh, freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, that as Asia says, you know, he might not be able to get food and will die in a few, you know, in a week's time. But um, interesting. Did you have any thoughts on how nature was depicted in the film? So I, I kind of I had two thoughts. So one thought was that um, you know it was incredibly beautiful. You saw these amazing landscapes of lakes and mountains and forest, and it was kind of pristine and wild. So the, the images were gorgeous. Uh, but then it was also like incredibly raw and violent and unforgiving. Uh, you know, there were several sort of um, things that happened to them, like uh, starving, uh, fighting other wild animals, fighting off animals to keep food. It was all, it, it was not idyllic at all. It, it wasn't kind of the paradise you get in a lot of children's movies. Uh, there was a fierce competition between the species in the environment. Uh, and that really kind of transpired, that was really felt throughout the film. But then, likewise, the kind of human world reflected that as well, because it was also quite violent and competitive and unforgiving. So it's like a reflection mirror, the human and the and the natural world, just in a, in a sort of strange way. But I felt like it, it was quite um, um, quite a struggle. In, in both worlds. Yeah. Aisha, did you have any final thoughts on how nature was depicted? I, I love the animation in this. I thought the the animation of the landscapes was really, really beautiful. Just the never-endingness of it. Um, I've been, for some reason this year, really diving into a lot of these Gold Rush Pioneer um, tales and stories. And yeah, I think it's not something that most people will ever experience just being one of the first people into a land that's that harsh and unforgiving. Yeah, and wild and 
and vast. It it really captured that sort of the North kind of feeling. Like uh, being Canadian, it felt the depictions of of nature and the wilderness. It it had this very. When you're a Canadian, you think about the Canadian wilderness. It had the same feel of this, which is not unsurprising because it's set in an area of where which is now Canada. Um, felt like like ooh, paintings by the group of seven where you have nature as this vast kind of untamable expanse but it's not it's not overtly hostile but it's not going to make it's not easy either it's just there and you have to deal with it because it's not going to change for you i really liked that it how it was wild but it wasn't it wasn't menacing or threatening quite in the same way as in some other movies where dealing with dark, scary forests filled with monsters and, and things like that, where nature becomes this hostile barrier. Here, it's just, it, it's not a backdrop either. It's not just setting. It permeates everything and everyone is doing everything in relation to nature, but it's not there as, it's not against you, but it's hard. But you're right, there's this kind of balance of it's it's not a paradise uh, and it's not some scary place with, you know, ghosts and bad almonds or anything like that. It, it just is. It's in a kind of weird, almost realistic, neutral way that you don't really see nature portrayed a lot of a lot of the times. Yeah. I think a lot of the time we're we're very we're sold a candy a candy ideal of a lot of things. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people end up in in very dangerous situations because they underestimate exactly how dangerous nature can be just on its own own essence. They go out without the wrong clothes, you know, with the wrong clothing and stuff like this. So it's it's nice to see that people are shown the reality of what nature is in a nice digestible way before they try and find out for themselves. The tidbit with the gloves being like, Everyone comes up here with gloves and then being told like, no, this is not going to keep you warm. Once they're wet, this is useless, <laughs> which is like yeah, people coming was, up with this uh... expectation of what's going to work. That was a good moment. Before we sign off, what would you say is if you had one a takeaway conversation that you would want someone to have ab- about this film? For me, the big takeaway to consider when you're watching this film is is looking at the way in which the humans interact with nature and the animals, the different ways they do it. Um, yeah, my take home message would be the idea of what a dog's worth is to different people. As you say, he goes through being um, a sled dog to a fighting dog and finally to a pet and then ultimately being free. And yeah, I liked the idea of what is a dog's purpose. Like obviously... Here in the UK, a dog, especially in London, a dog is a pet. So it was a very interesting thing to see the different jobs that dogs do and how they can be useful. Uh, And Maggie, your sort of top takeaway theme that you'd want people to think about? I will definitely go with um, humans' relationships to to animals and... uh, I mean, I think this is this film is brilliant to discuss with children about you know the the rights and wrongs and the morale of interacting with different types of wild animals. Um, and I really like that there's a there's a there was a, a scene in the film where the sheriff says that he's not going to shoot 
all the wolves just because they are hungry and it's a harsh winter. And I think this is this is something that that we do a lot as humans is kind of punishing animals for their instincts or punishing them for being what they are, whether it's sharks or wild animals escaping zoos that get shut down before they even do um, any harm to anybody. Um, and it's it's kind of talking about that relationships relationship between humanity and the, the natural world and its inhabitants, but but also where does our understanding of these animals lie and our rights? Where are they? What do we actually have right to do and not to do as humans? Well, Aisha and Maggie, thank you both for joining me in discussing White Fang. Um, it's been great having you back on the show thanks very much for having me victor it's always a pleasure and if you've enjoyed listening to the show uh, and you've got any other questions comments or feedback you can send us an email at knowingnaturepodcast at gmail.com and i'd encourage you to learn about the gwich'in which is the first nations of the native american community that's depicted in this film and links to all that will be in the full show notes which are found at our website, which is knowingnaturepodcast.wordpress.com. Follow us on Twitter at KN underscore podcast. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. 